grab a seat. I am the speaker. Uh, my name is Gabe. Mackenzie, don't go anywhere. Um, so if you guys didn't know, we are planting a church in Milledgeville this fall. If you never heard of Milledgeville, I understand. Um, it's as populous as Dahlonega is. But Mackenzie is one um, that is going to transfer and move to Milledgeville to help Kyle and Jen and the team down there. Um, so we've been talking and promoting, hey, like if, if you feel like the Lord might be up to something, um, transfer, go with some of these guys to go to Milledgeville and plant. Um, and Mackenzie's doing it. So thank you so much for your faith uh, and all that that requires. So thank you. I did tell her, though, that like when I said transfer, I meant like our B team could transfer, not her. Uh, but uh, lights on and lights off. What do you guys want this morning? We can do whatever. On? All right. Let's get these lights on. <laughs> Boom. All right. Luke 15 is where we're going to camp out. If you're new here, there should be a communication card somewhere on your chair around you. Uh, please grab one of those. If you get bored while I'm preaching, just take one and start filling it out for us. Um, even if you don't get bored, we still want to know that you're here. We want to get to know you a little bit more. And it's just an easy way to do that. Um, but as you guys are flipping to Luke, an, another quick announcement. If you don't have a Bible, if you forgot to bring one, you don't own one, um, there should be some Bible sitting around at the end of the rows or maybe on the table. Um, please take one of those. We want you to have a Bible. We want you to see what I'm going to be talking about from the Bible, not just my own words. Um, so please take one with you. We would love for you to have that. Um, now, just true confession real quick. Um, two things. If One, if you see me limping around, I'm an old man with arthritis, so that's that. Um, woke up and my, like, just the weather changes, and yeah, I'm old. Get over it. College kids, it's going to happen. There's going to come a day, college students, when you wake up and you just hurt, and you don't know why. Uh, that's why. You're old. Um, the other thing is, um, has anyone ever had any like awkward or embarrassing nicknames that people have just called you over the years? Anybody? Anybody willing to admit I've had a really bad nickname before? Um, there's these two girls in our MC. Where are they at? Who are your daughters? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so their name's Lily and Phoebe, but somewhere along the way, and I've just fallen in love with this, so this is all that I call them, is Loogie and Pee Pee. Uh, and I don't know the whole story on it, but they told me that story. I'm like, you shouldn't have told me that because that's going to be your nickname forever is Loogie and Pee Pee. I just love it. Um, but growing up, my, and I think I still have the baseball, in baseball, my nickname was Replay. Um, because if you guys have ever watched any like peewee sports, it's just boring. Um, and so what I was doing the whole time when I was in the outfield is mimicking Andrew Jones and Chipper Jones and Terry Pendleton and all these incredible David Justice. I used to have a big poster. If you don't know who any of those guys are, those famous Brave players, like 93 Braves, you should go watch them play. So much better than our Braves today will ever be. Um, but I used to just stand in the outfield and mimic what I saw these guys do on TV while I'm like while the game is going on, but uh, so like there's kids over there picking their nose and playing in the dirt. But in my mind, I'm Fred McGriff going ham, stretching out to catch a ball that's nowhere around me. There's no ball. There's no play. I'm just laying out in the outfield catching all these plays. And I think we all growing up, we all do that. Even to this day, we we mimic people, right? Like how many people, just true confession, have a picture of you somewhere in your mom or dad's shoes, right? That you went into their call. Okay. Really? No one else did that? Are you like, guys are like, well, it was my mom's high heels, so maybe I shouldn't admit that. 
I've got that picture too, right? Like I, I, I have a picture in my mom's high heels, but I also have a picture of my dad's shoes with a suitcase. And uh, my son, my kids always want to put on my shoes and my boots. And so we just grow up constantly mimicking what we see. And what we're going to see in Scripture this morning is that's a good thing. That's a good attribute that we have, that, that we should mimic the character and nature of God. That what brings him joy should bring us joy. What brings him happiness should bring us happiness. We should just mimic what we see modeled for us in Scripture. And so this morning, what we're going to try to understand is if we're supposed to mimic what God does, if we're supposed to love what God loves, what is it that brings God joy? What is it that brings him happiness? What is he celebrating? What does he love? And therefore, we should love that as well. So uh, Luke 15, uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Now, if you don't know too much about the church while you're flipping there, we are teaching through the book of Luke. Um, It's going to take us about two and a half years to get all the way through it, Um, but we're about halfway, and this is probably one of the most iconic chapters in the Bible. Luke 15, everyone knows it, everyone loves it, uh, and and you will see why in a second. Uh, Luke 15, pick it up in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, So he, Jesus, told this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays on it, lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents." So this chapter is comprised of three different parables. This morning we're going to hit two. Um, Next week, Easter Sunday, we're going to hit the prodigal son. Um, But before we dive in, let's pray real quick and and we'll understand this text together. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, God, we get a huge snapshot into your heart and what brings you joy this morning. So God, we're just excited to study scripture together. We're excited to see who you are and your character and your love for us and and where we fit into this. So, Father, thank you for every single soul here. Um, God, we're just excited to see the life change that will take place from the opening of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, to understand some of this context, go right back to the last verse in chapter 14. Um, So Jesus, in chapter 14, we covered some of this last week. Uh, What does it really look like? What is the cost of discipleship? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And we see through the text that to actually follow after Jesus uh, means that you have to put Jesus over all your possessions, all the people in your life, and even your own life. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus with everything that you have. And so at first we can say, well, that sounds a little harsh, that sounds a little too much, but, but we do this all the time, right? I mean, at some level, college students, you're here because you're putting your future, you're putting your career over your friends at home, over your own family, even over your own life to seek after this degree. And we, we all do this. And so what we see at the end of verse, or chapter 14 is this little phrase that Jesus loves to say. He who has ears, 
to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, if this is making sense to you, then keep following me. So last week we saw there's about 20,000 people following Jesus. 20,000. If you were to line up uh, two football fields and fill them full of people, that's about 20,000 people. So Jesus teaches this heart gut wrenching message, the clearing out that, what up, Jazz? Clearing out the room, right? Sorry, I love that girl. You should get to know Jess. Uh, so Jesus teaches this huge message, clears out the room, um, and he says, okay, if, if you understand what I've preached to you, then, then keep following me. So this, this group of 20,000 probably shrank down to maybe 1,000 or so. That's conjecture, but I mean, it went down to almost nothing. And so these, le- these that are left are really leaning in. So we pick it up in verse 1 of 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. We've got to understand before we get into this parable, who were the ones that were left after the crowds disappeared? It was the tax collectors. If you don't know much about Roman history, um, I'll just keep it brief. Everyone hated the tax collectors. No one liked them. Um, they were greedy. They, they spat on their own people to appease the Roman government so they could get more money in their pockets. They were just, the, they were just awful people. No one liked the tax collectors. The tax collectors and the sinners, though, the ones that know that they were bad, the ones that knew they needed Jesus, that knew their life was going nowhere, those were the ones that were leaning in to Jesus. Those were the ones that pressed in, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll gladly put you above my my possessions. I don't have any friends, so I can put you ahead of my friends and even put you ahead of my own life. I'm in. But this upset some people, the religious of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones that were doing everything, they didn't think they actually needed Jesus, didn't need his free grace that he was offering. They said, no, 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 I've worked for this my whole life. I follow all these rules. I keep all these um, the sacraments, and I just make everything perfect. I don't need you, Jesus. So they hated this guy because Jesus is going, no, here's, here's repentance. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's eternity is right in front of you. All you have to do is follow me. And the Pharisees and scribes couldn't stand Jesus for that. So we can kind of see um, the Pharisees, verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, if you just want to, if you underline, if you have a Bible with you, um, circle that verse, verse 2. What is at the heart of God? What is his character? What is his nature? I think verse 2 outlines it perfectly, that this man receives sinners and eats with them. See, what we're about to see is this initiating love of God, this uh, pursuing that God does after mankind. Because these religious leaders today, they weren't that opposed to people coming into Christianity, for people coming into the Jewish traditions, if they started it, right? If they said, no, no, I, I, whatever I need to do, whatever price I need to pay, I'm in, but they had to initiate it. And so God is flipping it on its head. And so, no, I am the initiating love. I'm the one that's pursuing. For some of you in this room that don't know why you're at church, you've never been to church, you think that you've initiated this, I would urge you to say, no, 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 what actually brought you here? What is the prompting in your heart that has led you here this morning? It's not just because someone invited you, but God is wooing you. God is pursuing you to the gospel. This initiating love of Christ is what we're starting to see. And the Pharisees, there's, there's two rules that was uh, big for the Pharisees, that one must not associate with ungodly men. We see this out of Acts 2. So these Pharisees are going, if Jesus is really a rabbi, if Jesus is really a teacher, does he not know the rule that he can't associate with these kind of people? 
the other one, the eating with them, uh, implied welcome and recognition. So they weren't even supposed to eat with sinners. And so we've titled this series, as we're working through the book of Luke, A Meal with Jesus. If we actually sat down and had a meal with Jesus, would we know him? Would we understand him? Would we grow to know his character? Nothing shows us someone's character and personality more than eating a meal. Amen? I never say that, but y'all responded, so I'm going to keep saying that. Right? I mean, someone like, yo, man, we could be friends, and then they're like ice chompers. Right? Like, no, we can't be friends. Or like, you go to a meal with someone, like, man, I'm so excited. You sit next to me in the booth, and they turn out to be left-handed. Like, who are you? Go away. I can't eat. All right? But just these meals, I mean, we understand at some level, one of the, uh, if you've been to our house, we have a huge table that we built. Um, it's six foot by six foot. You can fit like 12 to 15 people around it uh, just for the idea of having these meals. One of my favorite meals that I think is mimics some of the biblical times uh, was my wife's family came over for a cookout. And what was it, three o'clock in the morning? Four. Four o'clock in the morning is when the conversation finally stopped and they said, we've got to go home. So from 6, 6.30 all the way till 4 o'clock in the morning, we were sitting around this table talking together. And that is what happens with, I mean, when you look at the culture of the Jews in this Roman culture, they didn't have any watches. They didn't have any times to be anywhere like we do. They sat around a table for hours. They reclined at the table and talked. And what comes out of that is the true character and nature of God. So we said, what would it look like to really sit down and go through the book of Luke, treating it like we're sitting at a meal with Jesus? What we're going to see here is that God's character and nature that he models through us through Christ might rattle us a little bit, but it's so good and so welcoming. So to the scribes and to the Pharisees, to the ones that are grumbling that Jesus eats with sinners and welcomes them, he tells two parables. And the parables follow, both of them uh, follow a very simple outline. Lost, found, rejoice. So it's a simple paradigm. Lost, found, rejoice. So we'll look first at the lost sheep. Um, we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 3. Um, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open, open countryside and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So you've got these shepherds that are um, really taking care of someone else's sheep, right? These aren't actually their sheep. Um, these are rich men, uh, wealthy men that have all the sheep, but who wants to actually go into the field and take care of their own sheep? Uh, so they would hire guys to do that. So if this sheep comes out lost, uh, guess who's having to pay for it? The shepherd. Do you think the shepherd has the money to pay for the sheep? No. I mean, it would kind of be like, hey, will you come house sit for me while we go on vacation? You burn my house down. Who's going to pay for that house? You are, right? It's kind of one of those principles. So the sheep wanders off and Jesus is going, listen, uh, who wouldn't among you, connecting it back to the Pharisees, if you have a sheep go astray, go, ah, uh, I got 99 more. I don't have 99 problems, I got 99 sheep. So I'm not worried about that one. Half of y'all got that, half of you didn't, it's okay. So they're not worried about it, the, the sheep's gone away, whatever, we still got 99, we can take care of it. no. No, no, the, the, the shepherd goes, leave the 99 here. I'm going to pursue after the one until it's found. And once it's found, what happens? A party breaks out. He throws, does he scold the sheep? No. He throws the sheep up on its shoulders. He walks back into his town. He says, hey, let's get the boys together. We're going to celebrate because this sheep is found. What should we celebrate with? No, not sheep. Go get like a cow. Like, we'll eat a cow. We're not eating the sheep because I just found the sheep. Let's party over the sheep. 
party takes place. Rejoicing takes place. The sheep was lost. Because of the shepherd's effort, it was found. Now a party breaks out. Now we see a very similar story with the coin. Um, we'll pick this one up in verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, there's a lot of kind of speculation about this coin. Um, some would say this is just a day's wager is what this coin represents. It's just a day's uh, wager. Others would say um, that, that when the Jewish women would get married, they'd wear a headdress. And around that headdress had ten coins all the way around. So this coin had came from her headdress. And, and so, yes, it was a lot of money. But, two, it just meant the world to her that this part of what she wore on her wedding day is now gone. Now, she, again, she doesn't sit down and go, mm, I got nine. Once, I, I'll get to it eventually. I'm sure I'm fine. when spring cleaning takes place, I'll find that coin. But no, her house, I mean, they had obviously, I say obviously just to make sure we're all on the same page. You know they had no electricity, right? Okay, just, I didn't want to assume anything. Uh, obviously, they had no electricity. Um, the windows within the homes of that day were super small. Uh, if at any, it might have been one of the inside rooms that had no windows. So she had to fire up the lamp. She had to sweep. She had to move everything out to find this lost coin. And when she does, when she finds this coin, what happens? Verse 9. She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Rejoice with me. Now, we have to go back. These are great stories. These are great parables. And, and there's something to be said we'll cover next week. Uh, we start off with 99 verse 1, right? Nine, I'm going to leave the 99 so I can find the one. Up next, or this, the second one, the coin, there's 10 and then 1. And next week we're going to get down to 2 verse 1. The two brothers versus the 1. So all of it, doesn't matter if it's 99, if it's 2, if there's something lost, we pursue it. That's what we're starting to understand about the heart and character of God because he's answering the Pharisees, saying, why are you eating with the sinners? Why are you eating with the tax collectors? Why are you eating with the prostitutes? Why are you welcoming the people that are defiled, that are not good people? Jesus, why would you do that? So we start to see that, of course I do that because they are lost and I'm pursuing but when we start to really get in here, there's, there's two verses that we've just read that will kind of, uh, for me, over the past couple of weeks, have just kind of wrecked me a little bit. Um, verse 7 is the first one. Uh, this is at the end of the lost sheep. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy, joy, underline that word, joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Joy. There will be more joy in heaven. Verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's, there's joy. When salvation takes place, we have this whole new category of joy inside heaven. That a massive party breaks out. That there's dancing celebration, people are losing their mind, and this joy is coming from who? From God. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 who are righteous and need no repentance. Now, just, just think with me for a second. What comes to your mind when you think about God? What comes to your mind when you think about Jesus? 
Because if you're like me, joy is probably not one of the first that pops into our heads, right? Joyful. So uh, just no one get offended. Uh, there's this crazy video that these, uh, this church made in North Carolina um, that kind of put a dub over Jesus. It's one of the really old Jesus films. And they put a dub over it. Um, but I think in this one, it's crazy accurate because this is actually, if we're being honest, this is actually how we kind of view Jesus and God and, and the lack of joy that he uh, represents. So let's watch this real f- quick. And if it offends you, I'm sorry. <laughs> Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Um, Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. And Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. Alright, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. Alright, listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. And, and we can laugh, and hopefully that didn't offend. But, but in a lot of ways, don't we feel that? I mean, as we're going through our normal day-to-day life, don't we feel like that we're constantly being like, oh gosh, like I said a bad word, or oh goodness, like uh, I flicked somebody off in traffic, and like now all these things that we feel, and we almost kind of sense that from like, you have no hope, it's over, have a good day, right? So the idea, the notion that God actually has joy I don't, I don't think it's something that, that most of us can actually comprehend or have even really considered. I mean, we hear about heaven and how great it's going to be, uh, but do we actually have our minds wrapped around the fact that it's going to be a party led by who? God. That his joy is going to be radiating through heaven for eternity. There's going to be a massive party. Now, now who just, in your mind, who do you think God is? This guy or the, the, the lead party maker in heaven? 
Like who, who does your mind wrestle to when you think about God? Is it a celebration? Is it a party? Is it a joyful um, human being? Or is it a you better do what's right or else I'm going to get you? Because for most of us, it's the latter. Most of us are actually fearful of God because he's going to get us one day. That we think he's a wrathful God, which you cannot separate love from wrath. I wish we had time to go into there. But yes, he is wrathful, but he protects the ones that he loves, right? So who do you think God actually is? Do you know, do you believe that he's joyful? Does verse 7 make sense to you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents? I mean, for those of us who have committed to follow Christ, who are saved, did you think about that, that moment that you followed Christ? I mean, did you consider that moment, the party that was breaking out in heaven over your soul? Did you consider that there's a party breaking out with good food, a celebration is taking place because of you? Because you were lost and now you're found. That is the beauty of the gospel. That even though we were the one that straight away God didn't go, ah, okay, I've still got 99, so I'm good. No, he pursued you. And I know in a crowd this size, there's those in here that aren't following Jesus. And I'm promising you and I'm telling you based on scripture, he's pursuing you. He's coming after you. He has left the 99 to come after you. And the moment you say, yes, I'm going to follow Christ, I love Christ, and I'm his forever, you better believe that there's a massive party breaking out in heaven for you. I remember growing up, uh, I grew up in a pretty traditional conservative church, good church, um, and our youth pastor came to us one day and said, hey, listen, uh, we're going to baptize so-and-so. Once we do, I mean, it was the, you know, the big church with the baptismal back behind the carpet. Once we do, youth, I want you guys to go crazy. Because up until then, anytime someone's baptized, there's always that, hmm, you know, but like that was this kind of it. There's no, no noise in the auditorium whatsoever. So our youth pastor Tracy said, when the baptism takes place, you guys go crazy. And of course, it's like, we can be loud in church? Yes. So the front, we went crazy. We were clapping and hollering and screaming. And so after that, he said, do you know, do you know why? Because that's a small picture of what it takes place in heaven. That when one sinner is saved, a party breaks out. So every time we do baptisms in the river, I say the same thing. When we go down there, you guys better go crazy. Entire Lumpkin Calendar better understand that there's a baptism taking place in Yulu Creek because Jesus pursued, Jesus went after, Jesus died for, and now has rescued you from your sin. And we're going to celebrate that. There's a party in heaven. There's going to be a party at Yulu Creek. Right? That is what it looks like. There's a joy that takes place. Uh, now, now, when we start talking about God's attributes here, uh, there's two different sides of God's attributes. Um, there's the incommunicable uh, and there's the communicable. Now, I know those words sound whatever, whatever, and let me just explain them real quick. Uh, there's, there's one side of God's uh, that, that cannot communicate with us, that we cannot be like him. Like for this, um, omnipresent. Anyone omnipresent in here? Uh, can you be anywhere right now that you want to be? I mean, can you go ahead, like I'm talking back to the future, can you go tell me who's going to win the 2019, I had to forget what year it was, 2019 World Series and come back and tell us so that we don't have to meet in a gym anymore? Can you do that for me? No. So we're not omnipresent. Now, anyone here all-knowing? Does you just know everything at one time? No? No? Some of you think you do. You don't. Uh, what about this one, Unchangeable. Anyone unchanging? You've never changed before ever? Guys, your voice never dropped a little bit and squeaked a little bit? 
No. So, so there's character attributes of God that we can never relate to, that, he, that can just not be passed down to us. But there's the other side. There's the communicable, the ones that he does pass down to us. God is love. In him there's no darkness, right? So can we love? Yes or no? Yeah, okay. Uh, what about another one? Um, God is mercy. Can we show mercy on one another? Maybe. I mean, I know we're, uh, I'm, I'm pretty low mercy. I didn't know the whole church was low mercy. Uh, what about this? Justice, right? Knowledge, that there's character attributes of God that he can, through Christ, pass down to us. And what we see this morning through scripture, one of his main character attributes is joy. That when someone is saved, there's a joy that takes place in the heart of the Father that we can celebrate. Now, now let me just be frank with you guys this morning. Um, who wants more joy? I mean, who just in general, like, I just want to walk around, like, just joyful. I just want to be, like, not happy, happy fleets, but, like, just this feeling of joy constantly. Now, here's what, I mean, any, anyone ever want to be a preacher? Just let me see your hand. Stop it if you do. Okay, don't. Uh, where's Laura Bowers? Okay, so Laura caught me at the door. Hey, you okay? I was like, no, I don't really want to preach this morning. And Laura, in her great helping, was like, okay, then just go home. Like, well, I can't really do that, like, whatever. And so, uh, but the reason being is I cannot, it's not coincidence that I wake up in the morning, I'm supposed to preach about joy and have no joy, right? I mean, there's just no, it's not a quinky dink. It's, it's providence that God is saying, you're going to preach on joy, so let me take all that joy from you. And so when you actually teach of where joy comes from, uh, you're being truthful in it. This is where joy actually takes place. So flip with me over to John 14 real quick. John 14, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. Because if joy is an attribute of God that we can have, then we need to figure out how we gain it. Where does this come from? And we're not going to the fruit of the Spirit. That's a great place too. But we're going to stick to this. John 14, picking up in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So we talked at the beginning about mimicking who we look up to. And Jesus is saying, listen, just mimic what I'm doing. If you want joy, mimic what I'm doing. And what is he doing? He's pursuing those that are lost. He's running after those that don't have Jesus. I mean, for all of us, if we were to sit back and, and just really meditate for those that are believers, what does our salvation story look like? Uh, there's going to be one common denominator among all of us. It's that some human being pursued you with the gospel. That because of God inspiring them, they came after you. For most of us, it's going to be good, godly parents that loved us and shepherded us well. For some of us, it's going to be friends. For some of us, it's going to be roommates. But one common denominator we're all going to have is God used a human being to pursue us. That we were the one that was lost, and he pursued us. That God is a pursuing God, you can go all the way back to Genesis 3, just as early as it starts. As soon as sin comes into the world, Adam and Eve what? They hide. They go run away, and does God go, okay, 
See you guys. No, we see Genesis 3, 8 through 9, that God is walking through the garden going, hey, where are you? I'm coming after you. I'm pursuing you. Don't let sin get in the way of us. I'm pursuing you. I'm coming after you. Psalm 103 would say the same, uh, 8 through 14, that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to us. What does compassion look like? Pursuing us. What we see from these parables, probably the most important thing is, is twofold. One, that you have been pursued, and if you're not yet a believer, God is pursuing you. But if we are believers, we have to understand the character attribute of God, that when someone comes to faith, that is where true joy is found. That is, we're true. So, so what do we say then if we say, well, uh, I'm just not feeling joyful a lot. I, I don't feel joy in me. Uh, joy is not something that is, if you would explain Gabe Dodd, which that's my name, by the way, uh, joy would not be one of those attributes. So I, I'm, I'm a CrossFit bro. Anyone know that? Just like to, like to lift a little bit. Uh, here, here's the problem, though is that I have not crossfitted in a really long time. Uh, I'm, I'm a good, like, once-a-week guy right now. Uh, but my gym owner, Jason, he's an awesome dude, uh, but he would say that, like, working out is only half the battle, if even half the battle, that you've got to eat well, too, that nutrition matters. So I can't walk into the gym and go, Jason, I'm angry at you because look at me. I've been working out for two years, bro. This system isn't working, so I want my money back. Jason's going to look at me and go, uh, well, I haven't seen you in two weeks. How are you doing? Uh, tell me what you're eating. Didn't I tell you don't eat that? Right? Uh, don't, don't have, three helpings of dessert is not good. Uh, no helpings of dessert would be better. Right? I cannot get frustrated at Jason for not seeing results on myself just because I'm not doing the work that he's asked me to do. But all of us carry this bitterness to God going, I'm not feeling this joy, God. He's going, well, I've, I've told you the whole time, this is where joy is found. That where I have joy is when I see one sinner repent and come to me. So if you want to experience joy, go find one sinner and lead him to repentance. That's where true joy is found. So if you're not experiencing joy, if you're not happy, if you're not feeling this, if you're reading these words and they're blank words on the page, one of our first questions would be, man, what does it look like for you to go out? I, I promise you, church, if you just keep coming here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, here's, and, and not doing anything outside of this place, here's the word that's going to come out of your mouth. Man, I'm just not getting fed anymore. It's not getting fed anymore. Church, please hear me. The point of this is not to feed you so that you get spiritually obese. The point of this is to give you just enough energy and just enough calories to go work, to go pursue, to follow what God has modeled for us, to seek and save that which was lost, to leave the 99 in this room and go after the one. That's what God has asked us to do, and that's where true joy is found. 
So if we don't feel this joy within our souls, one of my first questions for all of us, me included, would be, what are we doing for the sake of the gospel? What, what are we doing? Because scripturally, that is where joy is found. And I'd argue for you and for me that our lack of joy is directly correlated to us not sharing the gospel where we go. It's directly correlated to not praying for the lost. It's directly correlated to not pursuing those that need Jesus. That we cannot have joy without having joy, how God designed joy. That when the one comes back to the fold, the party takes place. Rejoice. Lost, found, rejoice. Now, you could say that we plan this and this is manipulative and, and uh, just trust me, church, I'm not that smart. Next week is Easter. I mean, next week is the week that even non-believers, even the most hard-hearted atheists, even the most staunch agnostics would go, okay, but I kind of want to hear what they've got to say. I want to understand, I want to hear what's going to take place at this Easter service at church or in a gym, right? Because we are the church, we gather in a gym. They play pickleball here on Tuesdays. (laughs) It's dangerous, be careful. Old men get really uptight about pickleball. So this is, this is just the gathering, but, but this is maybe one of the one or two times a year that people far from God are going to go, no, 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 like, okay, I, I'll hear it out. I'll give it a shot. So here's what I'm asking. Here's where I'm pressing in so we start to lay in the plane. If you're a believer in here, what would it look like this week for us to be obsessed over the coin, for us to be obsessed over the sheep, to put this to the test that joy is found in seeing one center or one sinner repent. Seeing someone that has wandered away from the truth of the gospel and bringing them back into the family of Christ. That is for true joy is found. Would, would, would we try it for this week? Would we make it a point for this week, church, just to take one person that is either a non-believer or is far from God or is wrestling with God, would we just have one meal with one person this week? And if the opportunity presents itself, by all means, bring them to the gathering next Sunday, but that's not what it's about. It's about the joy that's going to come when you're doing the work of your Father. When you're sitting across the table going, listen, just tell me what you think. I'm just here to listen. I'm just here to talk. I'm not going to preach at you. My name's not Gabe. I don't have a cool church planning shirt like Gabe does that he's had for 10 years. I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm just here to listen. What would it look like if we, did, if we were obsessed over the coin this week? What would it look like if your missional community, so like my missional community that meets on Fridays, um, we've decided we're not going to meet this week. That I know schedules are busy and it can be hectic, so we're going to take Friday night off to leave space for this dinner conversation. To, to give an opportunity for us to stop being so busy as Christians and go, no, uh, your busy night, that Friday that was already scheduled, is now free. Who is the coin? Who is the soul that we're going to pursue this week? What would it look like? Uh, college students, look at me real quick. And you can tell your mom this, and, and they can email me, and we can have a very uh, frank conversation. I'm going to make some mommies and daddies mad here real fast. Would you pray and consider about staying here next weekend? For the ones that live in your dorm, for the ones that you share a room with that aren't going anywhere because that Easter means nothing to them, they're still going to be here next weekend. 
Would you consider staying up here as a college student going, the mission of the gospel is more important than deviled eggs at my parents' church, so I'm staying here. My mission is this lost coin, which is my roommate, and if I'm not here, then who? If I go home, she's not going home, he's not going home, their parents don't go to church, they don't know the gospel, so if I go home, am I losing an opportunity for this person? That you're here 85% of your week, would you just stay the other 15%? If we're serious about this coin, if we're serious about this lost sheep, what would it look like for us to stay? What would it look like for us just this week to say, if this is where joy is found, if this is what makes God rejoice, this is what brings joy to the heart of God, then it's going to bring joy to my heart to see one come to faith. Because that was our story, that we were lost And because of God and his faithful men and women on this planet, they pursued us and they found us and they brought us back and God rejoiced. Church, now it's our turn. Now now it's our turn to go find and to bring them back and to rejoice. Doesn't matter if it's 99, leaving the 99 for one. Doesn't matter if it's the nine coins left for one or if it's the one for one. It's our turn. Where is true joy found? It's seeing people to repentance, seeing them fall in love with Jesus Christ for the first time. That is where joy is found. So this week, would we pursue the lost coin? Would we say, even if you don't believe this, I'm going to give it a shot. Joy is found in seeing the sinner repent. Let's try this thing. If that's what brings joy to the heart of God, I'm in. Let's try it. Here's just kind of the last verse I want to leave us, leave us with. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by, your, by his love, and he will exalt over you with loud singing. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that loves us, that he's singing and dancing and rejoicing over us. And we, we can't just leave it here. It can't be the us for no more mentality. If we want to see Jesus move in mighty ways, we must follow him in that. So, so here's just how we'll end. Um, at every gathering, we end with communion. We end to stop and celebrate um, that Jesus went, that he pursued. When we talk about Jesus rescuing us and saving us, it only takes place because he went to the cross, he got up on it, he bled, and he died on our behalf. But he didn't stay there, right? I mean, just this day, this day, he's walking into towns. People are screaming, Hosanna to the highest, right? Palm Sunday, everything's happening, and Jesus is knowing in his mind as he's riding uh, on that donkey that just in a few days, everyone's going to betray me, and death is coming. In just a few short days. But that death means life for us. That He took all of our sin. He took all of our transgressions. He took everything that we've ever done wrong, past, present, and future, and put it on that cross if we follow after him. That's what he did for us. So the first part of communion this morning is just celebrating that. That if you are a believer here, we're going to celebrate what God has done for us through the cross. That's the first part. 
If you're in this room and you're not yet a believer, man, there's going to be an elder at both communion tables. Um, we would ask this. This is a really special time for us. This means the world because we get to remember our Savior. If you're not yet a believer, but we just say, hey, maybe don't take communion right now uh, because you just don't understand what it means. And I can share it with that through you biblically. But, but if you're in here this morning, you're going, man, like, I, I, Jesus has been pursuing me. I didn't know what it was until this morning, but, but I know he's been coming after me. I know he's leading me back. I don't know why I'm in this room this morning other than the fact that Jesus wants to save me. There'll be an elder at both ones of the table or both communion tables. We just want to talk and pray with you about that. And the last thing, believers, as we're taking communion, um, w- would you, as just in your own heart, as you're taking communion, say, I- I'm, I'm accepting the challenge. I'm going to pursue one person this week that is far from God. If that means me staying here this weekend, I'm in. If that means me canceling plans this week, uh, fine, I'm in. But if Jesus pursued me and that's what brought him joy, I want that joy by pursuing others. Will you do it, church? Will we walk in the way that God has walked? Are we actually going to mimic our Father or not? What does it look like for us? So would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful that, that you've given us something to mimic, Father, that you didn't leave us here to figure things out by ourselves. But God, you loved us so well and and you set the example for us of what it really means to follow after you. God, we thank you for the fact that we, that the believers in this room, that we were lost. Father, we were just following the way of the world, following uh, all that we knew and that felt right. God, but we never were happy. We were never satisfied. We kept buying into the lie of more of the same is going to satisfy, and it never did. Father, but by you and your grace, you spoke truth into us. You led us back to yourself, Father, so we could find joy in you, so that we could be complete in you. And Father, would you forgive us for being so preoccupied with good church things and, and school and work and families and And Father, neglecting what you're asking us to do, which is what we've seen you do, that you seek and save that which was lost, Father, that you are constantly pursuing and wooing. You're leaving the 99 for the one. Would you forgive us for not following you in that? So Father, this week, would you give us the courage and the boldness the opportunities, the eyes to see, the lost coins and the lost sheep around us, Father, that they matter to you. Father, they should matter to us as well. So Jesus, I also pray for those in this room that, that might not know you, Jesus, the ones that they are the, the lost sheep, they are the lost coin. God, I hope and pray that they hear the gospel clearly. Father, that you left the 99, you left the joy and fullness of heaven to come down to this, poor, to this planet, to this earth, to walk around, to be beaten, 
to be spit on, to be accused, to pick up your cross and to die. And then three days later, that death was no more. Father, you defeated death. You went through all of this so that we can be your sons and daughters. And it doesn't require anything extra. It doesn't require us to get our lives together to to make sure that we are doing everything right. All it requires is for us to look at you and say, you are my Lord and Savior. You pursued me. You've rescued me. I'm yours forever. I'm yours. That's what it means to follow Christ. So if that's you this morning, man, you're in a good spot. Welcome to the family of God. doesn't require some magical prayer or some seance or it just requires you understanding your sin you understanding your inability to follow God by yourself and submitting to his lordship because he has pursued you he is pursuing you his love knows no bounds for you that is what's happening this morning So if that's you, man, I'm telling you, there are elders at both the tables that want to talk, that want to pray, and want to celebrate because that is where joy is found. So church, as we take communion, let us just remember how good of a God we serve. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's only through that declaration that I can pray. It's only by that declaration that we can gather. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.